Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. What Margie was saying is, um, is you're not alone, but, and, and, and it is true, right? But, but the problem with that is that truth is only as real as your ability to believe it. And so you can feel alone surrounded by people. You can listen to the lie that says you're alone. You can listen to the lie that says you're the only one that deals with whatever it is you're dealing with. You can listen to those things. You can isolate yourself. And you can look around at everybody else and just assume that their life is perfect because you saw it on Facebook. Or you saw it on Instagram, right? You know what it's like. We present to people what we want them to see. And then we live behind that. And so you've got a bunch of people that take 270 pictures from different angles, and then you see one of them that was the best with the perfect lighting. You know what I mean? That made their nose look a little bit smaller because they hate their nose. You know, or just the way the shadow was. My leg looked really thin and trim or whatever that case is, right? And so you're presenting this thing to people, and then they're seeing that, and they're doing the same thing with you, and everybody's making a judgment on what they see. And all of it is just something we're presenting to people that's nowhere close to the reality of life. Except for me, I do look as good in pictures as... <laughs> Very few of us do, though. All right, I take the worst pictures. I told my wife, I'm like, I can ruin any picture. No, but really, think about that, though. Quit assuming, quit living, and quit believing that you're alone. You're not. You're never alone because Jesus said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, even to the end of the age. So when you feel alone, that's a lie. But beyond that, there's people around you that would love to help. The problem with that is, is a lot of times people look at you and because what you've presented seems so perfect, they assume, wow, they really have a perfect life. What could they possibly need from me? It's only when we become vulnerable with each other and actually open up and share with each other what's really going on in our lives that we realize, oh wait, I'm not alone. Hey, you've dealt with that. Well, you already walked through that. How did you get through that? And suddenly now we can help each other. Listen, there's times in your life you'll need help. Okay? Like it, it's, it doesn't make you like less than faithful or an unbeliever or less than or any of those things to need help for a while. Jesus allowed another man to carry His cross for a time. Jesus, fully God, yet fully man, right? Gets beaten beyond recognition. He gets beaten so many times that it says that his, his visage was marred more than any of the other sons of man. He was unrecognizable. His form even got deformed. That's how badly he's beaten. And yet he doesn't die. It says that they, they whipped him until things were hanging out of his body. I, I know it's, it's gross, right? But that's just the truth of what he went through for us. Sometimes it's good to remember that. It's not the cheap gospel. It costs him a lot. Your life cost him. It wasn't cheap. It wasn't easy. And yet he doesn't die. Why? Because he can't die yet because he hasn't become the sin of the world yet. And the curse of sin, which is death, has not touched him yet. They could have beat him until that curse was taken upon him and he wouldn't have died. They could have beat him from then until now and he wouldn't have died until he became sin on our behalf because he was born perfect. And so here he is, still fully God, yet carrying a cross and he allows another man to come alongside him for a time carry his cross for him. Why? Because I think he wanted to give an example to each and every one of us that it's okay if sometimes the burden gets so heavy that someone comes along and helps you carry it for a time that even Jesus did. And it doesn't make you weak or less than. It makes you Christ-like. Let that destroy our self-sufficiency a little bit. That actually allowing someone to carry our cross for us for a time 
actually makes us more like Jesus rather than less than. It's not a lack of faith. It's not not being a super Christian. It means that you actually realize there's times where I need help. If there's a command to bear each other's burdens, then that must mean that there's burdens that need help bearing. He would never ask us to do something that was absolutely unnecessary. So the fact that He asked us to do that means there's times when that might be necessary in someone's life. Here's the thing though. Jesus had to let Him. He had to let Him. Sometimes it takes opening up and letting somebody know what's going on to allow them to come along and help you. Otherwise, they see your Instagram life and they assume that you're perfect and that you don't need anything. Anyways, I don't know. Someone needed to hear that this morning. Yeah, I thought it was good. It wasn't mine, so I can brag on it. Um, but we're gonna, so we're going to continue talking about what we were talking about last week, um, about hearing the voice of God. And we talked about how, you know, that even though God's speaking, it doesn't automatically mean that everybody's going to hear it, right? So a voice booms from heaven and says, I have glorified my name and will glorify my name. And there's crowds of people around Jesus and there's different reactions from different people. So some think it's thunder. They have no grid for the fact that God speaks, that anybody speaks besides human beings that they can hear with their mouth. And so when a loud voice booms from heaven, it says it was a voice that boomed like thunder, but it was a voice, not thunder. You've got to understand that. It wasn't as if God thundered and Jesus interpreted. It said a voice, a booming voice. But because they have no grid for the fact that God may be speaking, they say, oh, it's thunder. But then there's some people who maybe believe, you know, have you ever met people who don't believe in God, but they believe in spirituality? Right, so they'll tell you like, well, I don't know if I, I don't know like if I believe in God, but I, but I'm a spiritual person, and I believe there's more than what we can see, and and maybe that's what these some of these people were at, you know, that maybe they're polytheists that assume there's many gods, right? And they said it's the voice of an angel. They at least recognize that there's a voice speaking. It's not just thunder to them. And then there's Jesus. See, the crowd thought it was thunder. Some others thought it was the voice of an angel. What does that let us believe? It leads us to believe the majority of the people heard the voice of God and couldn't recognize that it was God speaking. And then there were some others, maybe fewer people, that said, oh, it's an angel. They recognized something was speaking, but they weren't really sure who it might be. And then there's one that's recorded, and maybe the disciples heard and recognized it too, but Jesus is the one who's recorded that not only hears, but understands why He's speaking and says to them, this was not said for my sake, but for your sake. He understands it's his father speaking and he knows why he's speaking. And that's the place that we want to live in. We want to live in the place where when God speaks, even if others around us don't recognize that it's his voice, don't understand what he's saying, that we hear his voice and we understand his voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and know my voice. So that means that he's speaking, but just because and you'll hear that from people sometimes. Well, if God speaks, how come I don't hear him? Listen, they could have all looked at Jesus and said that, and Jesus would have been right and everybody else wrong. Every one of them that had no grid for the fact that God speaks could have looked at Jesus and said, well, if the Father said that to you, then how come I didn't hear it? No, you did hear. You just didn't hear. That's why Jesus would say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Why? He's saying just because you have ears and you hear noise doesn't mean that you actually hear the voice of God. 
Sometimes it takes paying attention. Sometimes it takes breaking down bad theology that we grew up with that says that, you know, well, this doesn't happen anymore. That doesn't happen anymore. You know, these lies that we believe and suddenly we have these filters over our ears and so God can be speaking and we have no grid for it. We don't even understand. Or we're in a place where we don't understand who's speaking, but we want to really get to that place where it's like, okay, when the voice speaks, I know that it's God because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and know my voice. That means what? I can hear him and I can know it's him. We're so worried sometimes about, well, what if it's not God? What if I get led astray? Be more confident in God's ability to keep you than the devil's ability to deceive you. Quit giving him so much credit. They're not equal opposites. You guys, we understand that, right? Like the God and the devil are not equal opposites. It says in Revelation, when we see him, we'll be like, is this the one before whom the nations trembled? Come on. He starts off as a snake in the book of Genesis. He ends up a seven-headed dragon in the book of Revelation. How did that happen? People gave him a lot more authority than he was ever supposed to have. I didn't say that. Todd White did. It's true. But they're not equal opposites. And sometimes our theology or the way that we live almost seems like we have more faith in the ability of the enemy to deceive us than in Jesus' ability to keep us from being deceived. Jesus said to the Father when He was praying, He said, the ones You've given into My hand, nobody can take from Me. I wonder if the devil is included in nobody. wonder if when Jesus said that, he really meant nobody, or did he mean nobody with an asterisk except for the one who's almost as powerful as we are? Listen, it's not even close. He's defeated. It says that on the cross on Colossians, in your Bible, it says that he made a mockery of them and put them on display when he defeated them at the cross. So, so we've, some of us, we, you know, we feel like maybe we've moved. I was talking to someone last week after church. He said, you know, I feel like that was me, like, you know, all I could hear was thunder, and then I, I got to a place where it's like, hey, wait a minute, maybe something's speaking, and now I'm getting to a place where I really feel like maybe I hear God. And so we want to talk today about what do I do if I hear God? And, I, and, and listen, there's this daily conversation, right? It says pray without ceasing. That's this continual conversation, the continual awareness that you have of God that is going on constantly. It's a running dialogue that's going on throughout the day. I'm not so much talking about that. I'm talking about like when we seek Him for it, just say you have a big decision or something comes to you or someone gives you a word or, or you have a dream or you feel like God speaks to you. And how do I know it's Him? How can I know that I know that it's Him? And so I've, I've, I've started thinking about that because someone asked me that question. I thought, well, I, I, I guess I should examine like how can I know? And so I came up with this list. That there's probably more extensive lists, but this is the one that I kind of live by. Um, and I can only teach what I'm actually living. I don't want to stand up here with a bunch of hypotheses and things that sound good in theory that I'm not actually living out. That's the last thing that you need is somebody telling you things that sound good that they actually don't make any difference in their own life. And so, that's so why Paul could say, my gospel. You realize he called it his? Why? Because it changed his life. Because he actually became a new creation and believed that he was who God said that he was more than who men said that he was based on what he had done in the past. He believed it so much he stood before people and said, my gospel. How does it become my gospel? It changes my life. When it changes my life, then it becomes mine. The truth that you know is awesome. The truth that changes your life and you know because it's actually become revelation to you, it's awesomer. All right, so, so 
there, but there are, like, to me, these are some things that help kind of give banks to the river, however you want to put it. Keeps you from living in heresy. This is, you know, keeps you from joining a cult. Um, cults are all started around one person claiming that they alone hear and know something that nobody else can know. That's the basis, the basic theme of every cult. Anytime you get around somebody who claims that they alone can know things about your life because God speaks to them, be really careful. Probably run. I'm serious because listen, God will never say something to somebody for you that he himself isn't already speaking to you and that he won't confirm through the spirit of God within you. I promise you that. And so if anybody ever claims they have some access to God that you don't have, it's heresy. It says that you're all priests, meaning what? Everybody has access to the throne of God. Everybody can come before the Father because of the blood of Jesus. There was a time when man needed an intercessor between him and the Father. Now you have one who is your high priest intercessor forever. It's Jesus Christ, the righteous, who sits at his right hand. It's in your Bible. Because of that, you can, I can, we can boldly enter into the throne of grace in a time of need. You, we all can. The only difference is that some people actually have believed it and walked in it maybe a little bit longer and they actually maybe have learned some things along the way that makes it easier. They've unlearned some things along the way that makes it easier. Yeah? And so, um, but, it's, but it's for everybody, right? So, so here's the first thing. So, <clears throat> so say that you, you feel like maybe God spoke to you or, or someone comes and they give you a word. They say, you know, I, I feel like this is you know, what God would have me say to you. And you hear this thing, the very first thing that you do with it, the first thing that I do with it, the first thing that everybody should do with it is ask themselves, does this line up with Scripture? Not, can I find this in the Bible? You know, people will pull that all the time. Well, where do you find that in the Bible? Come on, um, I promise you that, that, like, I can't find a verse in the Bible that tells me that when, when I prayed about it, God told me that I should marry Patty. Now, I can find a verse in the Bible that says that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. So that makes me believe that maybe he actually cares about who I get married to. So now I have some biblical precedence to say, okay, God would speak to me about this because he's ordered the steps in my life. And a pretty big step in my life will be who I'm going to become one flesh with, joined together by his spirit. So it's not that, that I can look up and say, well, in, you know, in 2 John chapter 1, verse 14, he said, Roy, you should marry Patty. Uh, I can't show you where God said to us through the Scripture specifically to take a chunk of our savings and give it to somebody who was paying off debt, but I can find where God says to be generous one to another, to help each other out, and where He says to owe no man. And when somebody that we knew was trying to get out of debt, we had some extra, so why not help them? I can find Bible verses that give me context to say, I can see God saying that to me because it's consistent with the character and the nature of the Father that I can find in the Word. Anything that somebody or anything speaks to you that doesn't line up with the character and nature of God as revealed in Scripture, especially through the person of Jesus, is not God speaking to you. I promise you if it contradicts His written Word or His character and nature that's revealed through the Word, it's not Him. He is never going to speak something to you that contradicts what He's already written to you through the Spirit. You can just bank on that. So if someone comes to you and says, well, you know, um, I know what Jesus said about divorce, but... Hear me out here. I feel like he's really called me to a mission field. And my wife doesn't feel like we've been called there. So I feel like Jesus would be okay with me divorcing my wife and going to be a missionary. No, he wouldn't. Because the word says, have you not heard from the beginning? He created them male and female. And he joined them together and he said, what God has joined together, let no man tear apart. Therefore, I tell you, no. And then, you know, we try to justify it. And so we look for a reason and we say, well, yeah, but Jesus said in case of adultery. Actually, Jesus didn't. 
he answered their question of why Moses allowed them to be divorced because of adultery. I know this is hard to hear sometimes, but let's let the word of God speak. So they say, is it okay to get divorced? Jesus looks at them and very clearly says no. And he's done talking. If they walk away and don't ask him another question, he doesn't say one more word to them. So they turn around and now they want to trip him up because now they think they've caught him in something where he is opposing the word. And they say, well, then why did Moses? Why did Moses? He said, because of the hardness of your heart. And I tell you, who's you? The Pharisees who still had hard hearts, who were still living under the law of Moses. If you get divorced for any reason but adultery, it's wrong. Well, well, I want to use that to justify you can't. Not if you're born again. Because he said, I would take their heart of stone from them and I'd give them a heart of flesh and I'll write my law upon their heart and their heart will be to know me. Paul's real clear. He says, it's not okay for you to divorce for any reason except for this. What? If the unbelieving spouse leaves, then the believing spouse is free to marry again. For how do you know if they'll be sanctified by your prayers in return? What's he saying? If someone leaves who's an unbeliever, then it's, I don't know why I'm talking about this, but listen to me, someone needs to hear this. If you're married and they leave and they're not a believer, in other words, they're not believing what Jesus said, not just saying, I believe there's a God, but actually living their life submitted to the Word of God and living as though they believe the Word of God is true. If they leave, your husband, you, that's kind of an unbeliever. No matter what they're claiming. Because Jesus said, you'll know my people by their fruit. By their love one for another. It's so clear. It's not hard. But if someone was to come to you and say, well, yeah, but I have this special circumstance, God's not going to make an exception for a special circumstance and break and violate what He already wrote in His Word so that He can speak something different to you. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's probably more to it than just thinking that we heard God about something. And there's probably something that we're going to talk about in one second and play there. But in 2 Timothy 3.16, um, says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in all righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice it doesn't say that all uh, God-breathed teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training for righteousness is contained in Scripture. Just that everything contained in Scripture is useful for those things. In other words, if somebody's coming to you and teaching you, look, if I'm teaching you something like I just did, take it to the Word of God. Compare it to what Jesus actually said. Compare it to what Paul wrote. Compare it to what the Spirit of God had to say through the Word. And if what I'm saying doesn't line up with the Word, then reject what I'm saying. But if what I'm saying lines up with the Word, then reject anything you've believed before that gave you a different idea. Allow the Word of God to bring correction to our lives. And if, if you were under a different belief and you made mistakes or you, or you made decisions based on something you believed in the past, repent, thank God, that you're no longer the person that believes that way and live your life from this day forward under the new belief. Alright, that went over real good. That must have been for the podcasters. Not for you guys. This is why the written Word of God is so important to know, you guys. This is why knowing the Word of God is so important because it's an instant screen, an instant shield to so many lies that come into our life. 
Listen, the enemy tries to be clever. He'll try to speak to you. Well-meaning Christians will try to speak to you and tell you things out of hurt in their heart or out of life experience that actually contradict the Word of God. With good intention, they'll give you this advice. And if you're not careful, you don't understand, you don't hear the Word of God, you don't know the Word of God, how do you filter that out? The Word of God is so important to know. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, He'll bring into remembrance all these things I've spoke to you. How can He remind you of something you never heard? I'm not saying that God can't speak to you something in an instant that you've never read before, but I am saying if one of the things the Holy Spirit does is remind you of things that Jesus already said, you probably should have the things that Jesus already said in you so that He can remind you of them. People read the Word and they say, well, I just don't feel like I'm getting anything. It's the Word of God. It's, it's, you can know Him through it. Even if in the moment you don't feel like you got this brilliant revelation that you can put out for everybody to be like, wow, that's really good. You can know that the Word of God went into you. And that someday it'll come out of you when you need it. But have it there to begin with. Know the Word. Be in the Word of God. Read the Word. Study it. Eat the Word of God. Know it. I promise you, the more you read it, the more you'll enjoy it. You'll actually start to begin to understand it. Read it with the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to come and bring revelation. Jesus said He'll take everything that is the Father's that He's given to me and He'll make it known unto you. What's He meaning? If you ask Him, the Holy Spirit will bring revelation. He lives inside of you. So when you're reading the Word, actually before you just rush in and read the Word to check it off your list and say, well, I read the Word today, maybe get with Him for a minute and say, I'm about to open your Word. I want to know you. As I read these words, Spirit of God, would you just bring them alive to me? Would you bring revelation? Would you show me? You authored these words through man. You understand perfectly what the Father was trying to communicate. Can you show me what I need to see in this Word? Start reading the Word and and do it not just like saying, well, I'll try it because someone told me to, but I don't think it'll work because I've tried. No, listen. Actually in faith, open the Word believing that He will. Open the Word of God thanking Him. Paul says when you make your request known before God, one of the things you do is you do it thankfully. Why? Because you actually believe that He's going to do what you're asking. So God, thank You so much that You're going to open this Word up to me. God, I thank You that the Spirit of God inside of me can search the, all things, even the deep things of God, and bring revelation to me. And suddenly you're reading the Word with God rather than reading the Word trying to find something out about Him. And now you're knowing Him through the Word, through communion with Him. And now it's in you. And suddenly when the voice of a stranger speaks, that voice that's inside of you already speaks louder. And it's so easy to know which one is which. I'm telling you. Um, the second thing that, that I always think is important to ask myself is this. Am I listening through a selfless filter? Am I hearing this through a lens of selflessness? Okay, so remember when Peter says to Jesus, Jesus says, I'm gonna have, they're going to come and kill me. Peter says, I'll never let that happen. God forbid it. You know, God just spoke it. Now he's telling God to forbid it. If you're not careful, you'll find yourself responding to Jesus with some weird things. Right? Peter decided he's going to rebuke the Lord by saying, God forbid it, not knowing that God spoke it. And he says, I'll never let that happen. And Jesus looks and says, get behind me, Satan, for you're a stumbling block to me. If you're thinking with the thoughts of man and not God. What's he saying? Peter, you're listening to the voice of the enemy. And the reason you're listening to the voice of the enemy is because you're thinking for yourself and you're not thinking for God. That's all he's saying to him. What's he saying? And, and, and listen, the very next thing he says to him is this. Then he said to his disciples, then when? Then after he told Peter, you're saying this, 
because you're being influenced by the enemy. And the enemy's influencing you because you're thinking for yourself. You're thinking for man and not for God. You're thinking about what you want selfishly. Selfishly, Peter wanted Jesus to stay there with him, not understanding if he was thinking the thoughts of God and he was really understanding what Jesus was saying, he would understand it's better for Jesus to go and give his life so that all of humanity could be saved rather than stay there and be the friend of a, of a few people. And so he says, listen, you're listening to Satan. He addresses first the spirit that's behind it, which is the enemy. And then he tells Peter how the enemy got his ear. And then he says to his disciples right after that, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What's Jesus saying to them? Guys, listen, if you're, you're going to want to follow me, what, what do sheep do with a shepherd? They follow him. That's what they do. That's why they have a shepherd. If they knew how to find green pastures on their own, if they knew how to find still waters, they wouldn't need the Lord to be their shepherd. And so he's saying to them, listen, if I'm really going to lead you, if you're going to follow me, the first thing you're going to need to do is deny yourself. What's he saying? He's saying if you're thinking for yourself, you're going to get it so confused and you're going to have a hard time hearing me and a hard time following me because so many of the things that I say to you are going to confront things that you selfishly hold on to. Think about it. The rich young ruler, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus looks at him and tells him the one thing that's holding you from gaining eternal life is the stuff that you have. You love that more than you love me. What does he do? He confronts it. But the rich young ruler is thinking selfishly rather than the thoughts of God. Because he's asking Jesus, what must I do to be saved? But when Jesus gives him an answer that confronts his stuff, he hears it through a lens of selfishness. And what does he do? He says he walks away sad. So many times what God is speaking to you will confront things that you think are bad for you, especially if you're thinking for yourself, you're thinking selfishly, or you're thinking short-term. We think short-term so often, so we ask God the question, and the answer He gives confronts something in us or confronts something that we love or threatens our stuff. Right? And so we suddenly recoil. That must not be God because God loves me, and I know the plans He has for me, and they're good, not to harm me, but to bless me and to prosper me. Get behind me, Satan. I mean, not you guys, but people have done that. Think about this, okay? God asked Noah to build a boat that has no purpose for years until one day when it begins to rain. Noah has to put everything on his, in his life on hold and start building this ark that makes no sense to anybody else because none of them heard the voice of God. And it has no purpose. It has no use until the day it starts to rain. At that point, Noah's pretty thankful, so is Noah's family, that he listened to God and did what God called him to, even when he didn't understand why he was being called to it in the first place. He calls um, Moses to lead his people out of a land into a wilderness, where the people hate it so much that they attempted to look back and say, we had it better in Egypt. But that was on the way to the promised land. But what he called them to short term looked a whole lot worse than where they were. And because it wasn't exactly what they wanted it to be in the short term, they started to wonder if maybe they didn't hear God, if maybe they weren't supposed to leave, and maybe they should have been better off in Egypt. Why? They're thinking selfishly, not with the thoughts of God. I'm going to go on and on. He asks Abraham to sacrifice his son before he shows him the ram. You want to talk about short-term discomfort? 
Look, we, we read this and it's like, oh yeah, but there's a ram. See, because you heard the story once as a kid and before it could even sink in that he asked him to slaughter his son on an altar, you heard about the ram. So that kind of desensitizes you to it. So when we hear the story, it's like, oh yeah, but there was a ram. But Abraham had no idea there's going to be a ram until he gets up there and something in his heart though trusts in the character and the nature of God because he says to his son, when his son says, where's the sacrifice? He says, God will provide the sacrifice. But let's not get over the fact that it probably wasn't very comfortable to hear that God wants you to take your son up a mountain and sacrifice him on an altar. If he's thinking selfishly, Abraham doesn't even consider that it could be God. Doesn't even think about doing it. Leads Jesus in a wilderness to fast and be tempted by the enemy for 40 days before he begins his ministry on earth. If Jesus is thinking for himself, that seems like no fun. Go out in the desert alone by myself and have nothing to eat. Be tempted by this creep. Why would God ever ask me to do that? Be careful that our short-term comfort and our selfish wants and desires aren't the filter that we're hearing God through or we'll find ourselves very, very easily led astray by the first voice that comes along that affirms the thing that you hold in your heart more dear than you hold the voice of God. Ask His disciples to leave what they're doing. Leave behind their provision and come and follow Him without telling them how they'd be taken care of or what they'd be doing besides saying, you'd be fishers of men. <laughs> we read that we're like, oh yeah, they're going to go preach the Gospel. They hear that and they think men with hooks in their lips being pulled into boats. They have no idea. They just know that God's speaking. If He's speaking, they didn't ask Him, well, well, well if we leave behind our nets, how will we provide for ourselves? But if they're thinking selfishly, they're thinking, wait a minute, I've built this business for a while. I'm now in a place where I have my own boat, which was a you know, pretty uh, uh, significant thing in that, in that culture. And now you've kind of arrived. You've got to the point where you're going to start training people in and they're going to start running the boats now and you'll sit on the shore and count your fish. You've kind of made it in the world of fishermen in the day. And suddenly, here comes this rabbi and he says, Put your nets down and come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. If they're thinking selfishly, they think, wait a minute, if I put my nets down and I leave, who's going to pick up my nets when I'm gone? What's going to happen to my boat? How am I going to provide for myself? I don't. He doesn't even have any bread. We know they were worried about that stuff because they've been following him for a while. He says, beware of the, the, leaven, the leaven of Herod and the Pharisees. And they reasoned it's because they don't have any bread. So they thought about this stuff. They thought about how they are going to provide for themselves. They weren't perfect. We read these things and we think that they didn't go through the same temptations that we did. The same trials that we do. We think that you know, they just said, oh, okay, Jesus, we'll follow you. And it was all just you know, peaches and cream. And they never were tested. And that when they, Jesus spoke, there was never a doubt that entered into their minds. It's not the way it was. But fortunately, they denied themselves enough and they believed the voice of Jesus more than the voices that were around them and they went exactly where He called them to go and they did what He called them to do. But they argued about who was the greatest. Okay? They never asked us to put them in stained glass. We do that. Why? Because it makes us feel better about the fact that we don't live lives like, we do, like they do when we read about them. So we call them a saint as if they had something that we don't. 
just going to let that land out there where it does. <laughs> but think about it, in all those examples, and you could go through so many examples throughout the Word, what God called them to challenged either their idea of what they were supposed to do, something they held dear, their own lives, their prestige, their livelihood, their short-term comfort, their selfishness. That's why He was always telling them, listen you guys, it's not about you. And so He realizes when He's speaking to Peter, they're still thinking for themselves. So now He just puts it really plain. If you want to follow Me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and come after Me. What's He saying? You can't even pick up your cross. You can't take your first step in following Me until you've denied yourself. You can say a prayer to go to heaven. You can repeat after Me. You can believe in God. You can believe that Jesus died on a cross, but you can't follow Him until you've denied yourself. That's what He said. It's not Roy's theology. That's straight from Jesus' mouth. Sometimes what God speaks to me contradicts something that I feel like He spoke to me before. This is where we have to be really careful that we're just being obedient to what God's saying right now versus following something that God said. Because here's the thing. God could speak to you about a destination He has for you. And He'll speak to people about that. He'll show them things that He has for them in their future. It says that He saved you for good works that He prepared before Him that you should walk in them. Meaning what? He knows what you're going to do in four years. He prepared it for you before you were born again. But what if God was to show you some of that? And sometimes He will. He'll show you things, right? So what if God was to show you things that He had in store for you, and then you decided, okay, I've heard God and I know what He's called me to, so then you turn off the hearing and you go to figuring out how to get there and you start making decisions based on something God showed you down the road, thinking that if this is what He spoke, and I'm, if I'm at A, He called me to D, then logically B and C are next. Without realizing that sometimes you're at A, God wants you to be at D, and He takes you to Z, M, and Q first because He has things there He wants you to learn and things He wants to teach you so that when you arrive at D, you're the person you need to be to do the thing He prepared beforehand for you to do. Make sure that you're not just living off a word that God gave you a long time ago and not listening for every word that proceedeth from the mouth of the Father. Or you could find yourself in real trouble, especially if you start thinking selfishly. Especially if the thing that God's put on your life becomes God rather than God Himself. And you start serving that thing versus serving the God that gave you the thing. I promise if He called you into something, if He placed something inside of you, He's perfectly capable of completing the good work He started inside of you. He doesn't need you to figure it out for Him. He just needs you to be obedient. That's all He asks. And then you'll end up where you're supposed to be, but you'll be the person He wants you to be when you get there because you'll have experienced the things He wanted you to experience along the way. You can even find yourself in a good place that you got yourself in and be somewhere He never called you to be, succeeding at things He never called you to succeed at. And that's sometimes more scary than failing because when you're failing, at least you know you should try something different. third thing so it lines up with scripture and I'm listening and I know that I'm not listening selfishly I'm not trying and straining to hear what I want to hear but I'm actually saying God what I want 
at this point is irrelevant. You said that you would place the desires of my heart within me if I found my delight in you. I'm delighting in you, Lord, and this thing's in my heart, but I'm not going to try to make this happen, and I'm going to just listen purely to what you're saying. And if I'm there, and the next thing I ask myself is this, do I have a peace that came with the word that he spoke to me, even if I don't understand fully? Philippians uh, 4.6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. There's a peace that comes when I trust Him. And there's a peace that comes when He speaks. And if I don't have peace... Like, not I'm living selfishly. If you're living selfishly, you're going to lack peace because you're not living the life that He died for you to live. If you have turmoil in your life because you're living selfishly, you're living in sin, any of those kind of things. Peter says that, right? He says, listen, count it all joy when you get persecuted for His name's sake, but be sure that none of you are suffering as an evildoer. What's he saying? Like, you can't just live in sin and then when the, when the consequences of sin come, start rejoicing going, oh, praise God, I've been found worthy of persecution. That's not persecution. That's the natural consequence of sin. He says that twice. Why? Because there is a tendency with us to always try to look to something external rather than something internal. So if something's going on in my life, the first thing I want to do rather than examine myself is start looking around and going, oh, it's all them. They're persecuting me. No, they might actually be responding to something that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing. So make sure it's not that, right? But if it's not that, if I know that I'm following Him, not that I'm perfect, but that there's nothing in my life that I know I'm being disobedient to. There's a difference in you know, a blind spot and willful disobedience. God can work with a blind spot. Willful disobedience, He has to turn before He can work with it. I promise you. Listen, Saul, and you can't judge like the magnitude of what someone's doing and say, well, that must be willful disobedience. Saul was actually trying his best to be obedient to the Father as he's persecuting the church. He was living out the convictions that he had as someone who understood the law. It was a blind spot. He couldn't see. So he had to be blinded so that he could see. God can work with that. Jonah, on the other hand, willful disobedience. Something's got to change. <laughs> I'd, rather be, I'd rather be knocked off of a donkey, struck blind, and taken care of by disciples then swallowed by a fish and puked out onto shore. I'm just saying, I would. But there's a peace that comes. And, and listen, you can't have the peace that somebody has that's heard the Word of God if you haven't heard it. This is the big fear, right? Like when before you're like really sold out and living just completely all in for God, it's like, well, what if I do that and then God sends me to some foreign country to live in a hut? Everyone's had that fear of like, well, if I radically sell out to God, what if He calls me to do something that I don't want to do? You don't understand because you see the missionaries, they come, they got this huge smile on their face. They're showing you these poverty pictures, living on rice and beans, and they're smiling and happy, and you're going, not me. But what you don't understand is this. They have something you don't because they have a call on their life that you don't. And you can't imagine what life is like aside from the voice of God because with the voice of God comes the peace of God. It comes the joy that He has for them in it. 
Jesus, for the joy that was set before Him, endured death, even death upon a cross. What does that mean? It means that along with the calling of God to go to a cross came the joy that was necessary for Him to actually sustain and do it. And the peace of knowing that He was doing exactly what the Father called Him to do. Listen, don't worry that like you look at other people's lives and you're like, well, yeah, but I mean, their life just looks so weird. It looks, it looks so not fun. I'm serious. Sometimes we look at people's lives that are sold out and we're like, if that's what it looks like to be sold out, I'll keep a little bit of me. Because it looks crazy. It always looks crazy to everybody that hasn't heard the voice. Everybody thought Noah was crazy until the first drop of rain fell. And all of a sudden they understood why this nut job had such peace and joy while building this boat. If God hasn't called, listen, that just because you're sold out and I'm sold out, our lives may look totally different. God's going to call us to totally different things. Or if He called you to the same thing that He called me to, when He actually spoke it to you, it would contain the peace and the joy necessary for you to do it joyfully. And then you would understand, oh, wait a minute, they weren't crazy. They had something I didn't. And I was judging from the outside. I was looking at what God was doing in their life but it was apart from hearing and having the peace and the joy that they had that made it possible for them to do that. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I know there's a lot of people that looked at Carl's life over the past few years and you use him as an example. There's people that looked at mine, Patty's, and you know, I've told us, like, oh, it just looks crazy. But there was a lot of people that looked at his life and said, that, that's crazy. I, I, just, I had some people tell me, like, I, I just don't know if, that's, if I want to live like that. You don't want to live like that because the one who created you hasn't called you into that yet. But if he does, and he calls you to step into that stuff and he equips you for that stuff, there's no greater joy than to live right where God's called you to live. And you'll find the greatest place of peace is doing what God's called you to do, no matter how much it looked like a crazy thing or how unenjoyable it looked before God called you into it. I promise you, before I became a pastor, I used to look at people that were pastors. I knew what they dealt with. I was on staff at a church. I saw the stuff that went on, the notes in the offering plate. Because sometimes the pastor at church I was at would read them out loud. <laughs> You'd be, you, but you probably wouldn't be surprised, but you might be shocked to know some of the emails that come in. Some of the things that get said. Some of the phone calls you receive and people say, bro, I heard this. Is this true? And you're going, what? I don't even know how you could have taken something and made it even sound remotely like that. It's like the worst game of telephone you've ever heard in your life. You know, like you stood on stage and you went like that and then pretty soon people were calling saying that you had a service. You walked around, you hit people with flaming swords. What? Where does that even come from? Before I was called to be a pastor, before God put the desire in my heart to do it, I wanted nothing to do with being a pastor. In fact, the first two times I was asked to be a pastor, I said no. Until God actually put the desire into my heart and I heard His voice and He spoke to me and then suddenly there was nothing else I would rather do and now there's nothing else that I would rather do. But I promise you, I talk to people and they're like, oh, I wouldn't want to do what you, have to, what you do. I wouldn't want to have to deal with what you deal with. I wouldn't want to deal with what you deal with. You know why? Because I'm not called to what you're called to and you're not called to what I'm called to. So you do you and I'll do me. And we'll all be who God's called us to be and we'll be a perfect representation of the body. Not 17 hands stuck onto a leg. <laughs> it's the truth. 
It's the truth. There is a joy and a peace that comes with the Word of God in your life that you can't imagine apart from it. And once you have it, you can't imagine doing anything else. So I ask myself, do I have a peace? Not do I have everything figured out. Peace doesn't mean that you understand. In fact, the peace that passes understanding means that if you want that, you have to give up the right to understand everything. Because by its nature, it passes all understanding. So it's not that I have this peace because I have everything figured out. I have peace because I'm trusting the One who does. And I know what He's called me to and I know what He's asked of me. And so if He's called me to something, He's asked me to something, He's going to equip me and grace me for it. And even if I don't understand how, I trust that He does. And there's a peace that comes on me and it has nothing to do with me having everything figured out. It has everything to do with trusting that I have a Father who does. So those are those are kind of the three, I think I, I thought of them when I was making these lists up of like internal things. These are the things that you can do all alone by yourself. You don't, you don't need anyone around you to do these things. You can get alone and you can ask God, does this line up with your word? And you can search the scripture and you can find whether it lines up with the word of God, the character, the nature of God. You alone probably are capable of asking yourself, am I listening selflessly? Is there a selfish filter over my ears? Am I latching on to words? Listen, this doesn't mean that you won't hear words that are true alone. It could also mean that you start listening to words that are not true because you're thinking selfishly. Because you latch on to the first voice that comes along and affirms the selfishness and the selfish desire that you have. That's not like the scare us. It's just saying, listen, if you're living selfishly, Jesus told Peter. He said, look, you're listening to Satan. Like we talked about a little while ago. Listen, a few hours before that, he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Simon, but my Father who's in heaven, blessed are you. A little while later, you're listening to Satan. Why do you do that? Because just because you hear God in one thing doesn't mean that you don't have the ability to listen to the voice of the enemy in another. You could hear God so clearly that Jesus gets excited in one minute and then so listen to the voice and speak out of the voice of the enemy in the next. And the thing that got Peter there was listening selfishly and thinking for himself and not for God. So, does this line up with what I know about God and what He's declared in His Word? Does it violate His Word? If it violates His Word, disregard it. If I'm listening selfishly, I need to go. I need to rid myself, empty myself, deny myself, lay that down, and then seek Him again on it. And then the third thing is, do I have a peace? And if I pass all three of those things, then we'll get to the next two parts that we're going to talk about next week. And those involve other people. And those involve actually being part of a community. And we're going to talk about the importance of community, the importance of biblical authority. We're talking about leadership and, and being submitted one to another and all that stuff and why it's so important and why Hebrews tells us, do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves, especially as some have, even as the days grow long. What's he saying? Listen, as the time grows later, you're going to have more and more voices speaking. Right now, there's a thousand million voices inside your pocket that would love to speak. And they have all kinds of things to say. And some of them are from Him and some of them are not. And the more voices there are speaking, the more valuable it is to be surrounded by people who love you, have your best interest in mind, are living selflessly, and are committed to seeing you become who God created you to become. And we're going to talk all about that next week. But I just want to this week, uh, I'll just wrap up with this, but this week, I just want to challenge us. Like, 
if there's something, a lot of times people say, well, you know, I haven't, I haven't heard God. I haven't heard him speak, you know, whatever it is. It's, it's, we're not talking about like an audible. He may speak in an audible voice. He only did it two times to Jesus, which leads me to believe, like some people hear the audible voice of God every day. Jesus heard it twice. I'm not doubting the people that say they hear it every day. I'm just saying that that's awesome because Jesus only heard it twice. Just make sure it really is God. But, but it's, there's the Spirit of God within you that He speaks through. There's the Word of God that's inside of you, that's in the Word. There, there's people around you that are filled with that same Spirit of God that He speaks through. There's a lot of different ways He speaks, dreams and visions and things like that. But, but sometimes people say, well, I, I, you know, it's been a while since I've heard God. And, and truthfully, one of the greatest reasons why that happens a lot of times, I believe, is because there's something He spoke to us that He's waiting on us to be obedient to. Why? Because when God speaks something to us, we become responsible for the thing He spoke. And if we're being disobedient to the first thing He spoke, why would He heap more on us and give us something else to be disobedient to to bring more judgment on ourselves? Because we'll be held responsible for the things He spoke to us. We'll give account. If we're not being obedient to the first thing, why is He going to speak another one? You know, it'd be like if I told Jackson, hey Jackson, I need you to go lift up that 25-pound weight over there, put it up over your head. If he can't do that with the 25-pound one, I would be a horrible father to tell him, all right, now take the 35-pound one. I'd wait till he could lift the 25-pound one before I asked him to do the 35-pound one. God's probably waiting for you to do the thing he's called you to do first before he speaks another thing to you. Because he's a good father. Because he loves you. And He's committed to you long term. He's not a bottle rocket. He's a long, slow fire that burns and never consumes the bush. Why? Because if it's the fire of God, it doesn't burn at your expense. That's why the bush wasn't burned. You realize that's why the fire didn't consume the bush? Because the fire of God doesn't burn at your expense. It burns at His. He never intended for you to burn out. He also never intended for you to keep heaping more things upon yourself and not being obedient to them when, when, when you haven't been obedient to the last thing He spoke to you. So just, if you feel like, it, honestly, like, like here we go talking about being vulnerable and stuff, but is there anybody here who's struggling with something that you know God spoke to you? Anybody? Like God spoke something to you. If you are, just raise your hand up. I'm not, this does not be like sin or anything like that. It could be something He's called you to that, that maybe you feel like is, you know, because here's the thing. A lot of times we think it's arrogance to believe the words that God spoke over us. Because God declares some things to us sometimes that are just so great and so grand that you almost feel like you're being arrogant to believe it. This doesn't have to be a bad thing. I'm saying just you know that God spoke. Is there anybody? Just raise your hand up right where you are and keep them up real quick. Yeah. See, there's a lot more of you than the first person that raised their hand. That's that Instagram thing. We need to get rid of that. That's that whole, I can't raise my hand because no one else is raising their hand. All right, if, if you get your hand raised, just stand up where you are. We want to pray with you. The Bible calls laying on of hands like a basic of our faith, you guys. This is, like, this is really basic. All we're going to do is just pray that you would have the courage, the strength, and the obedience to do whatever it is that you know God spoke to you whatever it is that you know that He's called you to. If you need more than that, if you, need, if you want to talk through with somebody, guys, look around. If you see somebody standing up, let's, let's get around them and let's pray for them, okay? And this is all it is. It, if you want to share what it is, share it. If you don't, that's okay too. But listen, all we're going to do is just agree with you and pray and say, God, give them the strength and the courage to actually do and be obedient to what you spoke. Believing 
That every one of us want every person around us to be obedient to the voice of God because we all matter to the kingdom and we all make a difference in each other's lives. So let's just go ahead. If you want to share it, you can share it. If not, just say, you know, I'd rather not share whatever it is. And then let's just pray for them and believe that the Spirit of God comes and brings courage, brings strength, that everything He's called us to, He's equipped us for. That everything He's ever asked of us, He's made possible for us to actually do. Thank You, God, for the peace that comes with knowing Your voice, God that passes understanding. I thank You, God, for strength and courage. I thank You, God, that even if it's a hard thing or a big thing, whatever it is, it might be something small that we think is minute. There's no small things in the kingdom because He who is faithful with little is ruler over much. And oftentimes it's that little thing that keeps us from the big thing. So maybe it's not such a little thing to begin with. So God, thank You for strength and courage. I think You've surrounded them with people that will cheer them on, God. That will encourage them and love them through the process, God. And I just thank You for that. I thank You for the joy that is awaiting obedience, God. I thank You for the peace that comes in knowing the faithfulness of seeing You be who You promised to be when we do the things that You've called us to do. I thank You for the joy that's there. The peace that's available. God, we just ask that You would come in just a tangible way and let them know that anything You've called them to, right now let them know anything that You've called them to. You've equipped them, strengthened them, and graced them for by the power of God that's within them. That they would believe, that Peter wrote, that You've been given all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Through the One that's in You. Greater is He that's in You than anything that's in the world. We give You praise for that, God. We, we, we just so appreciate the, the, the humility of, of all the people that are standing up to say, like, I, I know God's called me to something. I've been delaying it. I've been disobedient to it, whatever the case is. And God, we just thank You that You respond always to that. God, the, to the man that said, I believe, help my unbelief. God, so right now, if there's somebody here who says, I know, I just don't know if I can, God, come on, would You just come with strength and say, You can't on Your own, but I'm with You. I'll never leave You. I'll never forsake You. And I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. We thank you for that. We give you glory and honor for that in Jesus' name. Amen.